0: Welcome to the Psychology World Podcast with me, Conor Whiteley, psychology student and international best-selling psychology author of over 30 psychology books, bringing you the latest psychology news, fascinating psychology topics and more each week. If you want to learn more, then please check out conorwhiteleynet forward slash books. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the YouTube video or follow on your favourite podcast app. And here's the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 242 of the Psychology World podcast with me, Con Whiteley. And today's episode is on How can you support people with mental health difficulties during December? and the holiday period, and it is Saturday the 9th of December 2023 as I record this. So this podcast episode I've been so excited about all week, not only because of my own concerns, my own fears about the month of December, but also because I've had an absolutely brilliant week, and lots of these techniques that I talk about in today's episode episode is actually the reason why so i'm really excited again i think this is quite a practical one of course nothing on this podcast is ever any sort of official advice so but this is a fun episode quite insightful and i know that you're going to get a lot out of it whether you're a current or future clinical psychologist or whether you know people with mental health difficulties or to be honest even if you just want a few more tricks and um ideas for yourself in case you ever get a bit depressed in the future and whilst I say this is very much a December based podcast episode, this can actually apply to any time throughout the year because mental health is not just limited to one month of the year. So but you have got that to look forward to in the content part of today's episode. So moving on to the psychology news section, we're reading from the British Psychological Society Research Digest. And the first one is: Fragile tics may pave a faster way to diagnosis. People with Tourette syndrome make brief and involuntary movements and sounds, repeatedly blinking, for example, or grunting. These tics usually begin in childhood. Currently, to receive a diagnosis of Tourette syndrome, a child must have had movement and sound tics for at least a year, which by most measures is quite weight. but that may change. A recent paper in the Journal of the Rural Society in Interface describes a method that could potentially cut that year-long diagnosis time down to just a day. Peer Belieber at Washington University and colleagues report that timing of ticks in someone with Tourette syndrome shows a factual pattern, an infinite pattern this self-similar across different scales, not only that, but they report that the degree to which ticks follow a fracture patterns can predict how severe their condition will become. Okay, this is, I think, is actually quite a fascinating one because, I mean, like, the biggest, well, one of the biggest problems with the DSM, I find, is that, and to be honest, I sometimes get quite annoyed about this problem. Is that there's a time limit. And now I understand why there's a time limit. For example, depression. I think you've got to be depressed for at least two weeks. Um, and, and then for an anxiety condition. You've got to basically have this anxiety for about six months. Quite oversimplified but you will get my point. point. And then acute stress disorder. Which is the sort of precursor to PTSD in some situations that's a maximum of a month but more than three days so anyway though so I think that this whole time thing can actually be quite annoying so if there's a way that we can actually decrease this waiting time and this period of suffering as I like to call it because let's face it if you're depressed for those two weeks, or to be honest, let's use a more realistic example, or maybe a slightly better one, one that let's use like social anxiety disorder. So for those six months, that person does have clinically significant levels of um, distress. But because it's not been the six month mark, we can't help them. Clinical psychology does not care about them to be honest which I always think is quite funny considering that's the whole point of the profession but there's tons of problems with the DSM, this time thing doesn't really make the top 10. (laughs) So if we can find research based ways to actually cut this waiting period down to just a day or two then that is absolutely brilliant because we can start helping people, we can start improving lives sooner and if we're going to take the code calculated version, which is what most governments look at, then people working like get back to work sooner, they can start cons- earning, like, earning money, paying tax, and so on. I always hate having those conversations with people because, because to me, mental health is so much more about just getting, then just getting people back to work, which a lot of people in the profession I agree with. But it's just when you're talking to people outside of a clinical psychology, then you have to start talking about the whole money aspect. So, the second one is Dropping the Mask Takes Two, and this one I really love. Neurodiverse people frequently de- describe their experiences with modifying their behaviour in order to camouflage their differences or to fit in with neurotypical people. Whilst the strategy, known as masking, can ease social situations, keeping it up for a longer period of a, of a time can be a very tiring endeavour, leading to burnout, poor mental health and loss of identity. In a new paper published in the journal Autism, a University College London team explores one facet of masking, authenticity, or how genuine. People feel when they engage up with others. Looking closely at interactions between autistic and non-autistic people, they find a number of themes that help to illuminate the concept of authenticity as actually experienced by autistic people. So I won't go into what possibly the BPS said, but I love the point of this. Authenticity is such a big point point there because i mean i i'm like on this podcast i'm very all authentic friends in my books my non-fiction i'm very all i'm very all authentic but to be honest if you were to meet me in person and if i didn't know you my authenticity would dramatically decrease This is stuff that you can't say. Some stuff needs a certain level of friendship. And basically, yeah, like, as an autistic person, I very much put up a front. And that's something I'm learning with one of my current friendships. Friendships, because they're also all autistic. Yes, we can be very direct. We don't have to mask. We can just talk. But because I've been surrounded by neurotypical people for so long and I've not had many all autistic friendships. I just, basically, I just like keep I just like keep using the same, like, techniques, techniques which is problematic to the sense that I know tons about my friends, but my friend doesn't always know that much about me. But then when we text, <laughs> yeah, but like, when we text, though, because we were texting, like, last night, it's sort of like the opposite, because when we have in-person interactions, My friend just talks for Britain, like, my friend just tells me tons of stuff, which I love, I flat out love it, but I don't in person. But then when we text, I tell them tons of stuff about myself, and they don't, that I actually think is quite funny. It's something that I've actually got to work on. So authenticity, it is very much a tricky one for all autistic people though like especially when um you're the sort of autistic people that can be very intense at times as i've been called as my friends being called i think it's one of the reasons why we get on like so well because we can both be very intense to each other and we don't care yeah that's an authenticity it's a very interesting one and and it's nice that there's more research into it because i find it quite validating and i think that um, smarter people that may be able to be able to use this and to come up with some quite good interventions, or at least um put this in a more applied setting. So, well, the last one is also related to autism, mapping long-term mental health in autistic kids. Previous research has shown that autistic children often egg of mental health concerns. I think that's the understatement of 2023. Studies so investigating mental health in autistic people, however, often use mixed age samples and analyse single time points, leaving us to, with a bit of a blind spot. How might the trajectory of autistic children's mental health shift and develop as they age? This is the question that in inspired recent work by Dr. Nicola Wright at Manchester Metropolitan University and colleagues. In their latest paper, they investigate both the types and timings of mental health issues in autistic and non-autistic children, illustrating their mental health trajectories as well as the varying trajectories experienced by those of different genders and classes. So I really do encourage you to actually go over to the BPS website because they actually go into a lot more depth. But this, I think, is just a fascinating point for two main reasons. Firstly, research methodology. Why, when you're looking at mental health, and yes, I'm going to be the world's biggest hypocrite here because of my own research at at the moment. And to be honest, I do understand why people do this. But in an ideal world, if you're looking at mental health, you would use a longitudinal research study and research design because, of course, you want to see mental health over a, a period of a time so you can definitively say that it improves or it gets worse. That's what you want. But, of course, longitudinal studies, they're labour inattentive in they cost a lot of money, and they're just not ideal from a practical standpoint. Ideally. You would only do um, longitudinal studies when it comes to mental health, but you just can't do that always. But also, I think that it's really interesting from the point of view as myself and some of my all-artistic friends, though, because I've always said that uh, I've, yeah, you know, because for my own egg-like aspirins, autism caused me the most difficulties. And that's a polite way of putting it, When I was about sixteen, that was when it was starting to become quite troubling. Plus, there were tons of other factors that really didn't help. But then I think that after the age of sixteen, because I've learned how to deal with it, I've learned how to cope. I've learned how to mask and mimic and mimic other people like a lot better. Like I sometimes joke like to myself that. I can play the neurotypical typical game and come off as perfectly neurotypical, typical, like better than anyone. Of course, it's a complete and utter lie, but it's a fun joke to make. Well, to make with myself, like at times. Anyway, though, so it's really interesting that that research is starting to be done in a longitudinal design, and just so we can start to rely less on the anecdotal evidence and more on the in a pair of cool facts about this trend because after we identify what's the peak mental health difficulties or the period of a child's life where most autistic people will then like struggle then we can hopefully start to use that information to create a better support for autistic people. So I hope you enjoy the psychology news section. So let's move on to the personal update. So moving on to the personal update, I have had one of the best weeks in months. I have utterly loved this week. And to be honest, there's not even really a particular reason why. I've just had such a sensational week and I've been the happiest I've been for ages. And I think there were quite a few reasons and some of them I am actually going to share with you. So one of the best reasons... And this sort of like harps back to last week's podcast episode, activity scheduling. I have been doing so many activities that I enjoy. I've been doing lots of writing. I've gone back to learning copyright law, which I flat out love. And I've not done it since my breakdown in August. I love copyright and like, yes, that is such a niche interest. And yes, I appreciate none of you probably have that interest to be honest, I think that the only interest most of myself and my podcast listeners actually share is psychology, university and mental health, basically stuff like that. But I've been doing like a tonne of stuff that I love, I'm really like happy and I'm really excited. And then others also would be like some like social stuff uh, going on, now, for example... Wednesday was actually a really good day because I had a university like social with my lab and lots of other like great people that I really like mixing with. So again, that's a massive tip for university students. If there's a university social and you're a bit nervous about it, go through it. Just try it out, have fun because you're probably in their choice a lot more than you actually think. And also on a Wednesday, we had our brand new stats lecturer. And in that case, there's any new podcast listeners for this week. The reason why we've got a new stats lecturer is because we complained so much about the last one. The university had to make them step down. And he was, uh, he was such a horrific lecturer. How he was a lecturer before at Sussex, I have no idea. So that was quite interesting. But this new um, lecturer, well to be honest, she's not a lecturer, she's a PhD student that helps out with her teaching. This was the first time she's ever lectured. She basically had to lecture for four hours. She was really good. She was really, really good. And I've learned more in four hours than I have in the past ten weeks. That's how bad my old lecture was. And to be honest quite how good uh, the new Electra was, so I'm really really pleased like for her. And I hope she does take up um lecturing uh, well lecturing uh, like in the future because she's really like good at it. And then there were tons of other things like, going on, like, for example, I've got, like, fun projects. I've actually started, like, Duolingo, which is the language app, but I won't talk about that because I talk about that in today's podcast episode because I want to make a specific point about it. And then there was some really, really joyous stuff going on, but um, I have not to share that on the podcast for different reasons. It's a pretty week. It was a lot of fun. And after the past few months, it feels so amazing to be this happy again. So, life is absolutely brilliant and I love it. And as always, I always love to hear your thoughts and feelings on today's episode. So, you can always email me, ConnorWhiteley, You can always leave a comment down the show notes at ConnorWhiteley.net for the podcast. And you can always tweet me on Twitter at SciFiWhiteley. I always love to hear from all you because it really helps make the podcast feel more like a conversation. And today's episode has been sponsored by working with children and young people. So what I actually need to do a podcast episode to officially launch well, launch this book. I absolutely love it because, as we know, we're in like a clinical psychology. One of your four major clinical populations is working with children and adolescents. So what this great book really helps you to like, understand is how do a clinical psychologist work with different people for example the multidisciplinary team to actually help children and younger people. So I'll we talk about the UK mental health services called CAMHS and the different tiers and like how that's like structured but then I will also talk about um, pediatric psychology like which is actually a lot more interesting than I think and then I will also talk about working with children with physical health problems uh, and how that impacts them like psychologically and I will also talk about so many more great things that I absolutely love like. Working with children and adolescents we really do sink into this great topic in a lot of really easy to understand depth so I know you're going to love it too. So that is working with children and younger people available from all major ebook retailers and you can have the payback and hardback version from Amazon, your local bookstore or local library if you request it. So, whilst buying books helps to support the creation and the editing of the podcast, my time is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. And as always, a massive thank you to my wonderful patrons, because your support shows that you like the show and you want it to continue. So, if you want to become a, a patron and get tons of great rewards, then you can by heading over to patreon.com forward slash the Psychology World Podcast. So, let's dive into the content part of today's episode. So, we're moving on to the content part of today's episode. So, we're going to be talking about how to support people with mental health difficulties during the holidays. This is going to be a great episode and I'm really looking forward to it. So, let's dive into it. 3 Reasons Why People With Mental Health Difficulties Struggle During December Before I talk about my own fears and anxieties surrounding this December, I want wanting to approach the topic more broadly and then I'll talk about different ways to support people. Firstly, there are a lot of social pressures out of this time of year and this affects people in different ways. For example, there are always a Christmas and family parties to go to, University socials to attend, and everyone basically in applies to that you need to be happy and joyous or just stay away from Christmas. Since, in my egg, 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 egg experience, no one is interested in a dinner with a depressed or non joyous person during the holiday season. As of so, a result, this could place a lot of stress and only amplify. An anxious or depressed person's negative automatic falls, and only make them worse, and that I I say in air quotes. Since they might believe that they will be judged even more than usual during this time of year, meaning that it's the social pressure of the holiday season that can negatively impact the mental health of depressed and anxious people. A second reason why the holidays might be difficult for people is because someone isn't isn't with them this year. I mean this in the terms of a passed away loved one. But actually, yeah, this could be your first Christmas after a divorce, a bad breakup with a long-term partner, or something else happening in your life. When this happens, then Christmas could be a painful reminder of uh, that loss and it could trigger a lot of unwanted memories or it could be an awful reminder of the world they are living in. For example, a world without a parent or partner. This is even more painful for the person if they don't have any or many ways to help deal well with their feelings. For instance, I know the year that my paternal grandmother died. There wasn't a lot of options there for me. Or for most of my family to grieve, or you know we'll have to react at, at Christmas time, since we didn't want to bring down anyone else in the family, and friends of that don't know only a goer so far. Thankfully, in the end, we did all talk about it, and it was okay. And even a few years later, Christmas is a reminder of that loss. A final reason that I'll mention in this podcast episode is domestic violence, abuse and neglect. There are hundreds of other reasons, but these reasons are the focus of the podcast episode. Since children and family members have been off school and work during the holidays and most of December, this can be a nightmare for people in abusive relationships and families because they are home more often. They uh, cannot uh, escape off uh, to work or school but uh, to wag uh, uh, away from it, and because of the stress of creating the perfect uh, Christmas that everyone tries to do, this uh, could abuses snapping and lashing out. Overall, there are uh, a lot of reasons why uh, why Christmas is a uh, triggering from a lot of uh, people, and the, in the entire month of December can uh, put can cause people to feel guess, extremely anxious and concerns. Thankfully, there are a lot of things that people can do to support each other during this month. Why was I scared and anxious about December? So, before I talk about the 5 ways how you can see a port to people, I want to briefly explain why I, past tense, I have been flat out terrified for December and the holiday season. As well as this uh, podcast episode was mainly inspired uh, by my own uh, struggles with this this upcoming time of year. So I won't repeat uh, the whole mental health history because at this point it's very well documented on the uh, podcast. But I've noticed a very scary pattern for when I have meltdowns and awful mental health. My meltdowns tended to happen when I was out of my routine structure because that kept me grounded. For example, I had a meltdown in Newburgh Castle because I was away from university, my friends, my family and my therapy staff. And that pattern has largely stuck ever since. As of so, when I started to think about December and how all my friends were going back to their homes, The university was of course closing for the winter break and there would be a lot of other changes because of the social side of of a Christmas. I was flat out terrified of having another meltdown and experiencing a lot of bad mental health. And this time I didn't think it was was avoidable simply because these changes were happening no matter what I did. The month of December was going to be completely out of my control and that scared me. This led me to get very anxious, a little depressed, and I was constantly walking around with a lump of fear in the back of my mind. Sort of like a countdown until the next meltdown. Yet, thankfully, I spoke to my university counsellor about it, and he gave me a lot of ideas that I've expanded upon. And I find them really helpful, and I hope that you find them useful too make sure you know where to get help. One of the most useful things my university counsellor helped, uh, helped me with during the final session was making sure that I knew where to get support if I needed it. I, I think that's a flat out a critical for someone with mental health difficulties because as we all know, us and our clients get mental health flare-ups outside of the therapist's office And we might not have anyone around us that can help us when we need it. Therefore, it is really useful to know who you can return to when we need some help, support, and guidance. So, I'm just going to share an extract from a random therapy reflection that will appear in a, a future book. And now I have no idea which one, I've just written it and it might pop up in the future because it explains how my university counsellor um, helped me." Open quote. As my therapist could see that I was genuinely concerned about DSM, where his own main focus was at making sure that I had the information I needed to reach out to other mental health support services. In the case, I was having an intense moment when I needed to see report as well as he gave me a lot of other pieces of support that would be useful to me. For example, because I'm awaiting my autism diagnosis, my therapist told me had the university recently changed its policies so people with suspected mental health conditions and people awaiting diagnosis could get support. So he advised me to go to reception and book an appointment with a disability advisor. I hate the term disability, because I refuse to see my autism as a disability because it has helped me so much in my life, except make friends, but I took the advice anyway. In addition, he told me how there is an urgent mental health support available at the university Monday to Friday in the afternoons. Therefore, if there is a, a crisis uh, then I can email or, or just uh, come in uh, to get access to this urgency report. That is very and that is very useful to remember because you will never know what the future will, uh, will bring. Something else my university office is in uh, the evenings, but I forget which evenings to be honest. There are out of hours mental health practitioners available. This isn't too helpful because I'm not on campus in the evenings because I live so far away but it's still good to know that they're there and it's so good to be aware of. In addition in the UK we have something called Samaritans which is a mental health support charity that my therapist told me how to use since these aren't trained professionals, they aren't counsellors and they aren't therapists. And I said the Samaritans are people to call and basically sit with whilst you have your mental health at difficulty, so they can make sure that you're okay and you can't do anything to yourself or others. And then they allow you to talk and they guide you through this difficult time. Also I still will have access to my over a private therapist from August, so my I do will have her as an option too. Finally he Lies me to sign up for Canterbury Community Counseling Service Which is uh, meant to be a, a great service that provides free or low cost ongoing the counseling options for people And because of this a long waiting list uh, as uh, no one really ever like comes off it uh, But it's still like meant to be really good So I haven't signed up yet because uh, I just haven't but this is a, a great resource apparently Overall, when it comes to fear and anxiety, knowing what the Portuguese language is is uh, critical. And having uh, these sort of uh, conversations uh, was really useful in understanding how, why uh, there was a lot more support available to me than I thought. Close quote. As a result, so, if you're a person who experiences negative for mental health then make sure that you know how to get support over the holiday season as most mental health services like the NHS are closed over Christmas as well as if you're a current or future clinical psychologist then it might be an idea to double check that your clients know what support is available to them during the month of December. Sometimes you won't be able to support them. But there are plenty of uh, services that might be able to over the festive period. Make sure you will have a plan for bad mental health. Something I overly really liked that to my private therapist uh, see I just did uh, when I uh, popped into where uh, I see her the other week was that she stressed the importance of having a plan that was written down. Of course I refused to do this at first because I know what, what makes me feel good, I know how to feel better, but I knew what the problem was with this, Because as she mentioned, when we get depressed and when we have bad mental health, we forget the stuff that makes us feel good. She was right of course, because I can know all whether I want about mental health, but it's only useful if I can use it when I'm feeling bad. As a result, my point here is that if you believe that this will be helpful, and I don't think that this hurts to a try, then make sure that you or your client device down a list of things they enjoy. This means when they have a bad mental health, then they can look at the list, remember that they enjoy it, and try to motivate themselves to do it, so that they can get a pleasure from the activity and start to feel good again. that is a flat out uh, critical and here are the activities listed on my list fiction writing, podcasting, writing blog posts, learning a copyright, talking to friends of course, I think only the last one is uh, relatable to any of you, but but the point still remains. Uh, if I'm feeling bad, then I can look at the list and make myself do an activity, because it gives me a pleasure. And as I mentioned in last week's podcast episode, activities help to improve your mood. A self-compassionate advent calendar and activity scheduling. So speaking of last week's podcast episode, I wanted to remind you that activity scheduling is flat out critical at all the times of the year for mental health. So we we'll definitely make sure that yourself, your clients and anyone you love has a lot of fun activities planned out, planned out for the month of December. This means that they'll be doing behavioural activation and this benefits their mood as they'll be doing pleasurable activities. In addition, you can do the normal activity scheduling idea that I mentioned last week, which is by scheduling these activities in a normal online or paper calendar. Or you can do something a bit more fun because it's the holiday season, and I flat out love this idea. So, my university counsellor mentioned that I should do myself a self-compassionate advent calendar. And maybe me thought, oh, well, why don't I take this idea one step further? So what I did was I wrote down all the days in December and I made sure that I had at least one thing I to look forward to every single day this month. And my thinking behind this is that if I feel down or depressed, I can look at the date on this Saturday calendar and I can make sure that I've done the activity for the day and it also means that I have stuff to look forward to um, for the rest of the week too and stuff that I can get excited about so here's an extract from the week this podcast episode goes out Monday the 11th, writing the 12th, some outreach work 13th of December Christmas meal at my social group and meeting up with my supervisor. That will be a lot of fun. 14th of December, writing. 15th, catching up with a friend. 16th, family Christmas meal. That will be interesting. 17th, moon cards. carts. <laughs> Which I bit. that's a weird one, but I'm actually going to um, explain it. So as you can see this weekend attains a wide range of of different types of activities to get egg excited about and I admit doing moon pick cards might not sound very egg exciting but in my family I am very famous for writing cards that make my parents cry so that's always fun as I hope that it's uh, giving you some ideas. Another reason why I wrote down all of the days in December is because I can highlight each day before I go to bed and I can visually see how many days left in the month I have. And this I found really yeah, useful because it's good to see that it was the 6th of December so about 20% of the month and I haven't had bad mental health yet. It was also useful where to see that I'm probably going to be perfectly okay. Even at least data which is the nine is basically thirty two percent of the month and I've been fine enough for ages. So but uh, this month of all will probably be a brilliant month after all. As a result I would say it might be useful to work with a client, yourself, your loved one to create a list of fun planned activities that you're going to find in enjoyable and get a lot of pleasure from. That way This uh, gives you another way to help a manager this scary month. Do something new. Moving on to our penultimate idea for how to support people this December. So in early December, because I was so scared about this month because I was just waiting for a meltdown. I wanted to try something new and I wanted to try and be as busy as possible this uh, month. this a month, and the thing that I chose has actually been a lot of fun, and it did help with my mental health a lot. So I've decided to learn French on Duolingo. Lingo. So, but they don't sponsor today's episode at all. But Duolingo is actually brilliant. It's really easy to use. It's really fun, and it doesn't take long. I think, I think my longest lesson was three and a half minutes. That's because I kept having to listen to a pronunciation, as well as it's reminded me just how much I enjoy French and learn other languages, because I do love languages, I do love culture, but the only problem is is because I was mute as a kid, I've struggled with English in Arthur, to be honest, so trying to phone another language, and of course the English education system doesn't take language as seriously as it is, but... That's way beyond this. A bit, well, this a podcast episode. So I was always uh, going to struggle learning another language, but Duolingo is actually quite good. As observed, it might be an idea to do something new and learn something this holiday season. You might download Duolingo and learn another language that you've always wanted to. You might take up an art form that you've always been interested in or you might want to buy a few books on an aspect of history that you've always wanted to know more about. I think learning is a powerful tool if it's something that you enjoy since it takes your mind off of your concerns and your mental health. And these language apps are designed to be games so they're fun and it feels nicer to be accomplished. Like I always feel good to Good when I get 100% on a lesson and I get a little well done and whatnot. It's just a thought but you might enjoy it. I know I have. Be with friends and family. So the final thing that I want to wrap up this podcast episode with is going back to the basics again. Because, yes again, I always forget the basics when I have bad mental health. Because I've been uh, talking with my three girls that I did my funny uh, project with, and I've uh, contacted one of my oldest uh, school friends. It was that uh, she sent me a, a a like a Christmas card, and I just realised how nice it is reconnecting with people. It's nice knowing what they're up to, and it's uh, good to reconnect and forge new uh, friendships. And I've actually liked it so much that next week. I might even contact two of my other oldest school friends because I haven't really spoken to them in years. Like, I like and I comment on their Facebook posts, but that's about it, though. So it'd be interesting to see what happens, like, how are they, because, because, like, I hope they're okay. So that sort of communication and just reconnecting will also be quite nice. Therefore, my point is, and this goes for everyone, Remember to text your friends and family this December. You don't have to have a long conversation but as long as you contact them then it's something. It's still some social contact that you weren't getting before and that's important. You might need to schedule you contacting other people in and that does make you weird or anything. I've actually got quite a few um, things on um, well, things on my advent calendar, like contact this person, contact that person, contact everyone. <laughs> it just means that you want to do it and you might need a little more help to actually uh, get around to uh, doing it. I can uh, promise you with that, if I contacting all of my friends wasn't on my advent calendar, I would only be contacting one of them this month. That's how bad I am about social contact. Conclusion. In this mental health focus, the podcast episode, we've covered a lot of the different things, but all of this is in uh, Poland. It's important to recognise that December isn't a magical perfect month for every single person on the planet. And as future or current clinical psychologists, this is something that we have to recognise. In addition, it's, a, it's a critical that Arsenal clients know how to get mental health support over the holiday period, have an action plan in case of bad mental health, or that they do ag activity as scheduling, maybe a try out a new ag activity, and then maintain or make new contact with friends and family members. A lot of these tips are basic mental health stuff, but as I've learned, it is always the basics we forget when we have mental health difficulties. And now while we've spoken about these uh, these are five tips, I really hope that they're useful in making yours or your clients' holiday season a little more joyous, merry and filled with good cheer. So I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode and you got something out of it. This was a lot of fun to write up. And I'm actually quite proud of myself. Like I know I normally, like normally, I'm actually okay, extremely modest. Like a friend of was actually saying that, that to me, like like last night, like um they were saying I'm so proud of you for actually admitting that you've done something good for yourself, and like this is all you. This isn't me at all. Or well, so I'm actually quite proud that I have done this episode, because this does address a lot of my concerns. And to be honest, this stuff works for me. This might not work for everyone. I fully get that. And to be honest, of course, nothing on this podcast is any sort of official advice. But I found this stuff useful and I really hope that this helps the people. Even if this helps one single person, I would have done my job as a podcast host. And if you know someone who enjoy today's episode, then please share it with them. I'm always really grateful when you wonder people help spread the word about the podcast. And if you want to learn more, definitely check out Working With Children and Young People, available in all the usual places. And you can become a patron of the show at patreon.com forward slash podcast. So have a great day everyone, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. Please remember to like the video and subscribe to the, the YouTube channel and follow the podcast on your favourite podcast app. And if you wanted to learn more, then please check out the backlist of the podcast episodes or my books at conwiley.net. So have a great day and I'll see you next time.